Welcome to Bible Greek VPod's Intermediate Greek. This is a complete course on Intermediate Greek. In this lesson, you will have an introduction to the course and then an introduction to 1 John. The first thing you will notice about the course is it is an audio program, not a video program. The reason we are making this an audio program is because we need to get deep into the Greek and that will require a lot of time. It's going to be about a 20 to 30 minute lesson each time. What we will do is each lesson will have two parts. The first part will be going through an intermediate Greek book, going through the, the, the grammar of intermediate Greek. Then the second part of the lesson will be going through 1 John. The first thing we want to do is look at the recommended books. The recommended book for this course is Daniel Wallace's Greek Grammar Beyond the Basics. That's an excellent, excellent book, a very fine book. Uh, I, I took a, a Intermediate Greek from Daniel Wallace, and uh, he's, he's really a good, uh, very smart, smart man. Smart man. He's very good uh, and thorough, and the book is well organized. Another book that you may want to use is an intermediate New Testament Greek, a, ling a ling linguistic and exegetical approach by Richard Young. He does a pretty fine job too. The classic book for intermediate Greek is a book that was written, let me check here, I think this was written uh, uh, 1955 is the date on this, and it's uh, a manual grammar of the Greek New Testament by Dana and Manti. Dana and Manti. That's a, a, a classic, and it's still uh, sold today, and when I took Intermediate Greek, that was the, uh, uh, the, the first Intermediate Greek. That was the first, uh, that was the book I used. That's a pretty good book, too. I, I recommend the Daniel Wallace book, and of course, as we go through here, uh, you can go to the website and, and pick the lesson for the day, and we will cover uh, the goodies there um, on, on the website for free. For those of you who's, who aren't able uh, to go out and, and purchase books, the, the intent of, of this course, the intent of Bible Greek VPOD, is to provide these resources to you free. And uh, that's in, in honor and uh, in the same manner that uh, Dr. Kenny Rhodes from Schofield Seminary tries to, uh, tries to do. So that's the, the recommended book. Another thing uh, you should have in going into this course is a lexicon, a good lexicon. Of course, in the first course, you, you had per, I recommended Pershbacher. Uh, it's an excellent, excellent uh, Lexicon, mine is torn up. It's the pages are coming out. It looks like it's beat up. I just really beat it up pretty well. Uh, but now, as we get into this intermediate Greek and a little bit more advanced, there is another lexicon that you should have, and it's called the bag. That's what we call it, the bag. You should see that in a lot of references in the in the exegetical work and the in the deep Greek work. You just you just see it referred to as the bag. The proper name is an English, a Greek English lexicon of the New Testament and early 
and other early Christian literature by uh, Walter Bauer and uh, Gingrich and Danker. We call that the bag, and uh, that is a, a valuable reference that, that you will uh, need to have to uh, <clears throat> augment your work, to help you with your work. There's, a, there's also a lot of uh, excellent software packages out there with leth lexicons built in, and, and a lot of that makes these uh, hardcover books obsolete. Uh, I'm thinking of the online Bible has an excellent uh, a lexicon supplied with it, has a theological lexicon, both the Old Testament and New Testament. They're excellent, excellent works. Um, it, and that's a free source. The online Bible is free. And you can buy some of these other packages, uh, Logos and uh, <clears throat> Bible Works. Uh, I just want to give you a caution. Um, when, when I was in Hebrew, we would uh, get up at the board and uh, in, in the advanced Hebrew classes, and we we would uh, work the work the text. We'd get up at the board and would work the text, translate the text, parse it, and so forth. And uh, I was up one day parsing some work, and uh, one of the students who were who was sitting down, the rest of the students would sit down and they'd critique and they would uh, have input as well. And one of the other students pointed out I, I had parsed one of the verbs incorrectly. And I looked at that verb, and it was one of the earliest simple forms of the Hebrew verb that, that you can find. It would be like, uh, like in the Greek, the present active indicative. And, and so I looked back at it, and, I look, and it was just the simplest form. And so I said, no, that's the simplest form. That's, it's got, that's got to be it. And what he, what he did is he was using Lagos. And at that time, this was probably about 10 years ago, or, or longer, at that time, uh, Lagos was not a very uh, a robust, there were, there were some errors in that software, so be careful. If you are using software, be careful. It may, it may lie to you. It may, don't trust it. Okay, he was, this gentleman was really embarrassed because that was the simplest form and it should have been very obvious to him if he would have memorized that that form exactly what it was and that his software was not telling him the truth. So, Lagos has come a long way. I know it has. Uh, this is not to trash Lagos. Um, I, I was, uh, I tended to use and prefer to use um, Bible works whatever you prefer. Now the second thing, the secondary things that you need for language resources is you should have some language work, some Greek works. The classic, absolute classic, is Robinson's Word Pictures. Uh, Robinson, of course, is that classic uh, authority on, on, on the Greek. And uh, is Robinson Word Pictures is, is, is fairly reasonable price to buy a set of books. It's free online. Uh, if you have eSword, it's there, free. Um, and, and so a lot of these resources are avail available. Then there is Nicole. Nicole is called Expositor's Greek Testament. And uh, it, the Expositor's Greek Testament is an excellent work as well. And these, these are the old guys. These are old trusty guys. Weist. 
uh, Word Studies in the Greek New Testament, another good, uh, uh, fairly inexpensive work. There's Vincent's. Vincent's Word Studies is a good work. Then there is one that is uh, quite expensive. Not all of you will be able to get this work. It's Linsky is the, is the guy's name, Linsky. And uh, he has uh, an exposition of uh, the whole New Testament. And that work is about $500 if you bought it today. Back when I got it, it wasn't that expensive. Uh, but it has really become quite a popular uh, book. And uh, he's, he's, he's an old Lutheran of 100 years ago. And his work is, is just an excellent, excellent work. And we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to show you some of his work when we get into it, and you'll see the value of that. He's really quite good with, with the languages. You, you also will probably need uh, some, some other works. Uh, Vine's Expository Dictionary, that's a good work. It's not considered a, uh, a technical book. Most people will just in their Bible studies would have a Vines, but I find Vines is just an excellent, uh, excellent work, uh, resource as well. Another resource that uh, is helpful is uh, a book called The Linguistic Key to the Greek New Testament by Reinecker and Rogers. Reinecker and Rogers. And that, that is a good little resource. Uh, it goes through each verse and it will pick out only those words that have some some really neat meanings to them, or really in the context. Uh, he's done the homework of going through the bag and a lot of these other resources and just put that into the uh, commentary format. But it just has the words there and then gives you nuggets about these words. Really good work. Okay, uh, we move on now to the method. Uh, you should listen to the introductory grammar subject in each lesson and then stop. Review the subject in the grammar book, either Wallace, Young, or what I provide. Translate the verses. We're going to go through John, 1 John, and, and you're just going to be blown away by this course. This, the, the work will just blow you away. You'll look at that and you'll just, you'll just be blown away. And then, and then come back and listen to the rest of the translation portion of the lesson. The translation portion of this lesson and the exposition is going to last most of the lesson. We're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time in God's Word. So let me speak a little bit about this translation portion of the program. I will be going through the text of 1 John in the same manner as Dr. S. Lewis Johnson, who taught me. Dr. S. Lewis Johnson was the Greek teacher at Dallas Seminary for many, many years, and he's been dead now for several years, and when I took uh, him, uh, he was an old man. He wasn't teaching at Dallas anymore, and uh, he was just really an excellent, excellent uh, uh, teacher, uh, and he had a good grasp of the languages because he he taught this he taught Greek for many years now we're going to be covering the grammar points at an intermediate level and we're going to apply those to the finer points of the Greek it's called exegesis it's called bringing out of the text what is said and this is what Ezra did 
when the Jews, after coming out of the Babylonian captivity, brought out the book of the law, and they explained it to the people. They had almost lost the language. They were speaking the language of captivity, Aramaic. It's close to Hebrew, but it's not Hebrew. So they ended up having to explain to the people what it meant. Let me read to you Nehemiah 8, 1 through 8. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Can you imagine morning until midday? You know, let me give you a little back background here. They had gone into captivity, the Babylonian captivity, and it was harsh and it was cruel and it lasted so long that they had almost lost the language. But there were some faithful ones there, the priests who stayed in the Hebrew and stayed in the Word. And so here they are, back, newly back into Jerusalem. And uh, it, it's time to come back to the land. They're in the, in the land, in Jerusalem, and they're about to read this, this uh, they're about to, to read the law to all the people who returned. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and, and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which he had made for the purpose. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7, Also Jeshu, Bini, Sarabi, Jemen, Abub, Shebu, Habib, Manasseh, Keta, Azuka, Zorab, Henan, Pela, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law. So then in verse 7, we find that a bunch of the priests, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. They were shocked, if you will. The Hebrew is very strong. Verse 8, So they read distinctly from the book in the law. Verse 8, So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense, and they helped them to understand the reading. That's what's happening here. In verse 7, the priest explained that by yen, uh, to discern, to understand, they gave them understanding. And in verse 8, they read the Hebrew kera, cry out. They proclaimed the word, translating para, parash, sorry, it's parash, 
to make distinct, to distinguish the Aramaic from the Hebrew. That's what the problem with they were doing there. Is they were distinguishing between the Aramaic and the Hebrew. The finer points of the Hebrew were being brought out. That's the point of our course, is to get you to the point where you can bring out these finer points of the language. Uh, another thing that happened is to put the sense of the Hebrew to them. That's what they did. For the purpose that they understood or they discerned. They were seeking discernment in what they were reading. This is what we seek to do too as we, as we go through this. Now let's get to the book. First uh, John was written by John the Apostle. He does not identify himself in the letter, but tradition associates the letter with John. John is the only one of the apostles who was not martyred. He ended up in Ephesus at the church there. History goes that John left Jerusalem, they stayed in Jerusalem, until about the time of the destruction of the temple, and then they moved on to Ephesus, and that's where John stayed. Now, his gospel letter and letters and the book of Revelation were all written late. Most place them in the late 80s to early 90s. The book of Revelation usually is dated to around 95 or 96. He had several disciples himself, that is, John did, and Polycarp, uh, who became Bishop of Smyrna, was one of them. Ignatius, who became Bishop of Antioch, he was another of John's famous uh, disciples. John continues teaching in the Old Testament concept, the Old Testament way, the way God wants his word taught. Paul uses the word keako uh, to teach orally. That's the oral tradition as a teacher to the crowd. The Jews are the people of the Shema, the hearers. They're the people of the ear. And so they have ears and they listen to God. And so that's the, the way we are to teach. The word disciple is a learner. And, and that implies, that whole package is implied in, in that concept. So we get the tradition of a teacher in our churches that gives out the word of God just as Ezra did back in Nehemiah 8 in the Old Testament as they returned out of bondage into back to Jerusalem. They're having to explain the word clearly to the people because they've lost the language. Here we are and we are 2,000 years away from uh, these words in the New Testament. And our tradition is, is we've come a long way and we are a long way away from it. We need to be explained in a historical context and also a grammatical context. It, we are distance not only in, in time, but we are distance in language as well. We are handicapped in both cases. Thus the tradition of making disciples. The disciples progress in their knowledge of God's Word, where they become mature in their daily walk. That's the concept that we have. Our goal is to mature in the daily walk. 
John encountered great problems in this early church. When he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, he encountered the problem common to that area. That was legalism, the Jewish legalism of Jerusalem. He fought, and it was a big problem within the church. Now, he's a leader in the church in Asia Minor, in Ephesus. That's where that is, and he encountered problems common to that area, too. That was the religion of the Hellenist, the Greeks, the Greek philosophy. Chief among this philosophy was that of Gnosticism. The belief that matter uh, or the physical is evil and the spiritual is good. So they have this dual nature that, that has come into the church in, in this form. And it was based on Greece, Greek philosophy and this caused great problems with the early church. Now, Paul had problems that he spoke of in the book of Colossians. With, about concerning this. Philo, the, the Jewish philosopher, was deep into this Greek philosophy. As a result, he had to spiritualize much of the reading of the Old Testament. He was a spiritualizer. If you turn to this mechanism and, and heresy takes over, the result is error. And it causes one to pervert the plain meaning of Scripture to justify their belief. That is what we are trying to get away from. We're going to try to bring out the plain meaning of Scripture and dig into the Greek to get you a clear understanding of what it means. The reason I started taking Greek, let me tell you this. I came to the Lord late in life. I was in my 30s, early 30s. And I, and I didn't know what to believe. There's just so many denominations, so many opinions, so many cults, and everybody claims to be an expert in the word and expert in the languages. And it seemed like when you wanted to know something, in the plain, you could read something in plain scripture, in the plain reading, and somebody would bring out a Greek to prove their point, but the plain reading did not look like that was the case. Uh, so uh, I decided, you know, I, I need to take Greek. Actually, my wife started taking Greek first, and so she really got me taking the Greek. But the, the desire then was to learn the languages so that I could read and I could know that's, that's the reason for taking Greek, and that's the value of taking Greek, because you can look at it, you can understand from a technical point of view one form or another. And so that's what, I wa that's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to be able to do. I want you to be able to go to the Greek and be able to understand completely. Now, granted, nobody's going to come her off understanding completely the everybody we are human everybody will have little heresies but the idea is to know what the text says to be able to handle the text rightly and to uh to have a, a competency with it don't abuse the greek but use the greek and understand the greek and know how far you can go with the greek in, in in some of these points. <clears throat> that that's the goal. 
The goal is to get you to the point where you can understand and listen to the arguments and throw out the nonsense. That was my goal anyway. You may have other goals, but that, that's my goal, is to get you to the point where you can, you can find out what it says and what it means. There is a story that Irenaeus gives in his work Against Heresies. He writes, On entering a bathhouse in Ephesus and seeing the heretic Centerus within, John rushed out crying, Let us fly, lest even the bathhouse fall down, because Centurionus, the enemy of truth, is within. Centurionus was a Gnostic who was a very popular leader in the church at that time. You notice that in the church at that time. John was battling a lot of problems with Gnosticism. A lot of the problems of the world and the culture were in are are covered in in this uh, in First John in his book, his letter to them uh, covers these problems because they are problems at that time. the The problems in the early church were great. God's word and the philosophies of the world are always, always creeping into the church, and that was true in John's time, in the Old Testament time and in our time. We continue to fight that. And whatever philosophy that is floating in the world will continue to try to find a place inside the doors of the church. So 1 John is a letter which seeks to address Gnosticism in particular. And let me add Christian Gnosticism in particular. The great historian F.F. Bruce writes, the character and the reach within the church of Gnosticism. On the practical level, these new teachers, the Gnostics that is, claim to have reached such an advanced stage in spiritual experience that they were beyond good and evil. Did you hear that? They were beyond good and evil. This book is going to tackle that issue. By, by, by the way, uh, early on, this book of 1 John had some problems being accepted by some of the church fathers, just some of the church fathers. The reason why is because the Christian Gnostics used 1 John to try to prove their point. The problem is their point is being attacked in this book, and we'll see that very clearly. Uh, and and the, the idea that the Christian does not have sin is is just crazy. And to come to this book and try to prove that is insane. And we'll, we will find out. Uh, we'll, we'll find that out. Can you imagine? Bruce, Bruce goes on to say, They maintained that they had no sin. Does that sound familiar? We hear that today. Christians without sin. Can you imagine? Bruce clarifies, not in the sense that they had attained moral perfection, but in the sense that what might be sin for people at a less mature stage, did you hear that? Less mature stage of inner development was no longer sin for the completely spiritual man. Do you see the problem already? They're taking the physical, that sin, 
the spiritual, which is good, and they're starting this 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 dual nature of man uh, is 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 causes a lot of problems. We'll see a lot of theological problems with that statement. They start to play with words. Ethical distinctions start to disappear. John will come down on this teaching hard. This book is really a great little book. As you can see, John, like Paul, had problems with some church leaders who sought to undermine their apostolic authority so they could bring in destructive heresies. Get ready. This course has a lot to say. It is probably one of the most excellent courses that you are going to find. Join us next time as we dig deep into the book of 1 John.